finishing up Chronicles tonight. We're going to be finishing up Chronicles, uh, 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. Now, a little bit of background to get to the point of where we're at here. David had desired to build God a house. David had this beautiful house. David's sitting in his beautiful house. And this moment hits him saying, why is it that I have a beautiful house? God has blessed me. But yet God, the ark, does not have a home. So he approaches God and says, I want to build you a house. And God says, no. (laughs) No, you can't. Your descendant, Solomon, whose name means peace, he will build the house. Because David, you're a man of war. Blood is on your hands. But he says to him, David, instead, I will build you a house. And by that means a lineage. And it's through the line of David that the Messiah comes. So David is nearing the end of his reign as king. And what you see going on here in chapters 28 and 29 is you see David handing over the kingdom to Solomon. And also David handing over this vision of building the temple to Solomon. So you have a transition here between David and Solomon in chapters 28 and 29. Now, as we go through this, though... How does this apply to us? You remember the point we've been saying every Wednesday night when we go through Chronicles. 2 Corinthians says these people were given to us as an example. An example of what to do and also an example of what not to do. Well, tonight, it's really just an example of what to do. There's really no sins in this. It's actually a very encouraging, uplifting message. And you see these words that kind of pop out that God is asking of Solomon, obedience. God is asking of Solomon, a loyal heart. How does that apply to us? What does it mean for us to be these same type of people that God has called us to be? So let's jump right into this. First Chronicles, starting in verse 28. Verse 1, now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes, and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and captives over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and his sons with the office, excuse me, the officials and the valiant men and all the mighty men of valor. David gets everybody. This is the big staff meeting. This is the big ordination of the new king. Verse 2, David rose to his feet. He's an old man at this time and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house for the rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he's chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. So what he's saying is, I couldn't build him a house. My son Solomon is going to build it. Remember, Solomon's name means peace. But David is saying, I get to have a kingdom that lasts forever through the Messiah. Verse 5, And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. So that sets the scene here. This is why he's called everybody together. We're going to build this temple. Solomon's the one that's going to be doing it. He's going to be taking over. Now he starts giving instructions. Verse 6. Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Solomon, I'll take care of you. I'll be your God. But you know what I'm asking for, Solomon? Verse 7. Obedience. Obedience. We did a VBS a few years ago where the phrase was, Obedience brings blessing. Now the problem is when you hear the word blessing, when I hear the word blessing, we usually think of material blessing. Well, there's lots of different words there. That word blessed, if you say you are blessed, it literally means, oh, how happy. God says, when you are obedient to me, you will be happy. Just think about that for a second. When you're obedient to the Lord, you are happy. You know what? I'm happiest when I'm not sinning. 
I'm blessed. I'm happiest when I spend time in the Word. I'm happiest when I pray. When I am obedient to those simple things of, Lord, I'll live a pure life in an impure world. Lord, I'll be a man of the Word. Lord, I'll be a man of prayer. Guess what? My day just goes better. It just does. Now, I could be sinning and be blessed materialistically, but I won't be happy. Obedience brings blessing. When you're obedient to what God has called you to do, you will find that you're just blessed in life. You'll have a joy in life. A lot of times when people come into me and they want to talk about life and, you know, Pastor, I'm just not happy. Pastor, I just don't have joy. Okay, let's just cut right to the chase. Is there some unconfessed sin in your life? How are you doing spiritually? Almost every one of them, not doing really well spiritually. Well, guess what? Obedience brings blessing. Get to where you're supposed to be spiritually and you'll be blessed. How do I know that? How do I get there? Verse 7, observe God's commandments. Isn't it amazing how simple he makes it? Hey, I've given you a book. It's by about 40 different authors. It's 66 separate books. It's called the Bible. If you just kind of follow that, you'll be blessed. How simple is that? Verse 8. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and all the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. See, catch the word there in verse 8. Solomon, you need to seek this out. You need to seek this out. Christianity is a lot of work. If you take Christianity and you compare it to all the religions of the world, and you would make them all equal, I don't know if there's too many people that would pick Christianity. Why? Because what do we preach in Christianity? Self-sacrifice. We preach obedience. We preach being a changed man or changed woman in the Lord. Those are the things we preach. Now, it's not by our power or by our works. It's of the Lord. But you know, what did Jesus say? The path is narrow. The path is difficult. Few will find it. John 16, In this world, you will have tribulation. Those are not great verses to encourage somebody to come get saved. But the point that the Lord has said is this. Listen, you're not about this world. You're about the eternal world that lasts forever after this. So what you're really doing now is just being refined for all of eternity through walking with Christ. And what does that come by? Verse 7, observing His commandments. It's so important, he says in verse 7, observe it. Verse 8, seek them out. That effort. And guess what's happening here? Verse 8, David is calling Solomon out publicly. Publicly. You have everybody there. All the officers, all the people. I envision David standing up and speaking. I envision Solomon right beside him. And what David is going to tell Solomon here is, listen, Solomon, you want to be a good king? Observe the word. Follow the word. Seek the Lord. It's public accountability. That's what we do with weddings. Almost every time I do a wedding, if I have a big public wedding, I'll say the reason everybody is here is to keep the bride and groom accountable. We're here as witnesses that these people are making a public declaration of committing their marriage to Christ. We do the same thing with child dedications. Why do we do them in front of the church? Because we are publicly saying we're going to help keep you accountable in your walk in relationship with the Lord. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a couple people get baptized on a Sunday morning. Why? Accountability. When you see them at church, you can say, hey, I'm praying for you. What is the purpose of coming to church? Accountability. Hey, I haven't seen you. Wow, how are you doing? Anything I can pray for? What's the Lord laid on your heart? Are you going deeper in the Lord? All this system is about being accountable. And what David is doing here to Solomon is, hey, I'm telling you publicly, observe my commandments, seek my commandments. You remember I've told you this many times before. A king 
according to the law, when he became king, he had to hand write out a copy of the law to make sure that he was accountable to following the law. Verse 9, now David makes it personal. As for you, my son Solomon, he turns from talking to everybody. He now speaking directly to Solomon. Know the God of your father. Serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. That's pretty straightforward stuff. But isn't that the point of it? We started going through Proverbs as a family. And Proverbs is, obviously we believe, David writing to Solomon here. It's collected by Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. But the reason we go through Proverbs is I always tell the boys, why are we going through this? Because this is a book written from a father to his sons to say this is how I want to live a godly life. And I always tell my kids all the time, listen, I'm not going to always be around. I don't want you to make a good choice just because I'm standing right beside you. I want to make you to make a good choice because the Holy Spirit is leading you. And when I'm not here, if the Lord takes me home, remember these things. This is what David is telling Solomon. Listen, know the God of your father. Did you catch that in verse 9? This is personal. Solomon, know my God. This is not the God of your Fathers, like referring back to Abraham and Isaac, David is saying right here to Solomon, Know my God. Parents, if you have kids at home, have you shown them how personal your faith is? I remember when Dawn had our first child at the baby shower, everybody wrote down little tidbits of advice. And I remember reading through those after the baby shower, and I remember one of them I've never forgotten. Somebody said, do your devotions, read your Bible in front of your kids. So that way they know that and they see that, and that just is normal to them. Wouldn't that be neat if your parents would grow up and say, hey, what was your mom and dad like growing up? Oh, man, they were praying all the time. They were reading their Bible all the time. They knew their father. I was talking to a group of guys out here one time, and I got as many of them as together because there were four boys. And at the time, I think we had three boys or four boys. I lose track. And I got them together, and they were four good boys. And I remember asking them, okay, part of the reason I, I had, wanted to take you guys out for lunch is I wanted to ask you, what were your mom and dad like growing up? Was there any time that your parents said, boys, don't ever repeat this story? Repeat the story now. Tell me everything about them. No, I asked them, what was it like? And I remember them saying about their mom, they always remembered her praying. I thought, how cool is that? What is David telling Solomon here right now? Know my God. Serve my God. If you're taking notes in verse 9, verse 9 is the only verse that matters tonight, people. If you'd walk out of here, number one, knowing God. Not having an intellectual knowledge of Him, but knowing Him personally. Next one, serving Him. Next one, with a loyal heart, depending on your translation, some of your translations may say, with a perfect heart, with a whole heart. It means that your whole heart is over to the Lord. You're not a Sunday morning Christian. You're not a Wednesday night Christian. You're not just when you go to Bible studies. But when no one else is around, you're stopping and saying, Lord, I want to serve you. This repetition of loyal. Verse 9 of chapter 29, it talks about having a loyal heart. Verse 19, it talks about having a loyal heart. So God wants us to know Him, to serve Him with a loyal heart, and verse 9, with a willing mind. No one's going to make you read or pray. No one's going to make you serve. No one's going to make you witness or share your faith. You don't have to do any of those things. I remember when I first finally understood that, how freeing that was. I don't have to pray. 
I don't have to share my faith. I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to. But I want to be willing to do it. See, if it was a forced thing, how's that obedience? I have to do it, Lord. Hey, James, thanks for spending time with me in prayer. Well, God, you told me to. I have to. No, I want a willing heart. I want to choose to do it. Guess what? Because verse 9, the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. I mean, let's be honest, people. We, we fool people all the time, don't we? We fool them all the time. The Lord comes in and says, yeah, you're not fooling me. I see your heart. I know what's going on. I know where you're at with me. Guess what? Verse 9, seek me. I will be found by you. If you're a note taker, you can write down James, James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he draws near to you. How simple of a premise is that? God, if I choose to get closer to you, you'll get closer to me. Just repeat these words here in your mind. Look at this, verse 9. Knowing God, serving God, loyal heart, willing mind. That's what he's looking for. Jump ahead to the end of this, if you would, real quick, please. 29, 19. 29, 19. This is David's prayer as he's handing the kingdom over to Solomon. 29, 19. Give my son, Solomon, a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things to build the temple for which I have made provision. What a great prayer as a parent. Boy, just take out Solomon's name, take out the part of the temple, put your kid's name there. And give Elias a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes. Give that to Judah. To, I mean, just put your kids' names right in there. This is a, a father handing the kingdom over to a son and publicly praying, Lord, be with Solomon. Help him through this, that he would be the man that you have called him to be. Why? Because this is not an easy job. Verse 10, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Back to verse 10 of chapter 28. You've heard me make this point so many times, forgive me for the repetition. If God has to remind him to be strong, what does that mean? It means he was weak. Well, what's so intimidating about this? You're only building a house for God, right? You're only going to be moving the ark around. You're only going to be building a house for God. Remember the last time or two times ago, I should say, when they tried to move the ark and about 50,000 people died? This is kind of a big deal. This is a really big deal. Solomon, do it. Be strong. You can do this. The Christian walk is not easy. I think sometimes as believers, we do a disservice of representing the Christian walk. Oh, your life is miserable. Just come know Jesus and everything will be perfect. Okay, well, you will get your sins taken care of. You will have heaven as your eternal abode. Amen. But we already said the verses earlier, in this world you will have tribulation, in this world you have trial. Believers have trials and tribulations. Believers get cancer. Believers struggle physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We have bad days at work. Solomon, this is going to be hard, buddy. Be strong. Do it. And he repeats this. Jump ahead to verse 20, same chapter. David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God. See the personal nature there of a parent to their child. My God will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you till you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Remember, this is not a private conversation. Hey, Solomon, I'll give you a little bit of pep talk here, buddy. No, this is in front of everybody. Solomon, I'm handing over the kingdom to you. You get to do it. And you know what? I want you to do this. Be strong. Be of good courage. You can do this. 
Okay, thanks, Dad, for making it clear that I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, it gets even worse. 29 verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to the, all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for man but for the Lord God. It's a little bit insulting, Dad. You know one of the wisest things you can ever do is accept the fact that you're young and inexperienced? One of the wisest things you could do is go in front of a group of hopefully believers and say, Hey, I don't really know what I'm doing. Would you help me with this, please? Because when you have that and you're willing to accept the fact that you don't know everything, that's when the Lord says, okay, I can work with this. I can work with this. I remember when I first took over out here, I was uh, 22 years old. And I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. And there were so many people that came up and was encouraging and helpful and gave wisdom and gave advice and gave counsel. You know, we did a building project. I can't remember. I started losing track of time probably six, seven years into when I was out here. And we'd have these church work days, trying to save some money in the body of Christ coming together. So we'd get together on these church work days. And so I'd show up, and you've heard me tell the stories of how I can't do anything. So we'd show up, and I remember one work day, there's like five, six guys there. It's like, okay, what are we going to do? And they all look at me. It's like, why are you looking at me? You know, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And I'm just so thankful that there was an honesty amongst brothers to say, hey, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. Does anybody here know what they're doing? Okay, you think you know what you're doing? Okay, let's pray and get started. It's amazing how many things happen out here at church with us just saying, hey, let's pray and get started. You give it over to the Lord. We're young, we're inexperienced, we don't know what we're doing. And to this point now later, 17 years later, Rich and I still get together. It's like, I, I don't know what we're doing. Let's just pray and get started and see what the Lord wants to do. And there's just wisdom in stopping and saying, Lord, it, it's yours. I'm giving this to you, Lord, because I look at Solomon. Be strong. Do it. Be of good courage. Do it. You're young and inexperienced. This is a big work. Do it. Okay, Lord. And through you we can. And look what he says right here. Not only do it, but make sure you finish it. Make sure you finish it. Verse 20 of chapter 28. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Finished. I think of what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, the last book he wrote. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. The verse before that, he tells Timothy, fulfill your ministry. There's a lot of believers that are willing to start out, but they don't finish. And God is saying, I'm looking for somebody to finish this. And I'll give you the strength to do it, to not quit, to not give up. I mean, come on, people, we want to give up sometimes. Well, as Galatians tells, Galatians chapter 6, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. How often do we give up and lose heart on spiritual matters because it's so overwhelming, it's so tough, I can't do this. Yeah, that's what David's trying to tell Solomon here. Solomon, this is tough, this is hard, stay focused, stay in the word, obey the commandments, have a willing heart, have a loyal heart, and people, I need you to help him. That's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. Any quick questions, comments about anything thus far here before we get into the actual details of the temple? All right, we're going to go through this kind of quickly here because what David does is he kind of does a little bit of a rundown in verse 11. David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasures, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat. David is giving these instructions. What do you have? Verse 12, he got the plans for the court that he had by the Spirit. Did you ever wonder how they got the building plans? They got the building plans through David 
Because the Lord gave the building plans to David. But David wasn't allowed to build it, so then he gives it back to Solomon. He said, jump ahead to verse 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. Guys, this is fascinating. David, sitting in his really nice house. Oh, Lord, this isn't fair. You don't have a house. I want to I build you a house. Sorry, David, you have blood on your hands. You can't. But I'm going to give you a lineage that lasts forever. I'm going to call your son Solomon to build the house. And how are you going to get the plans? David and the Lord just would talk, it looks like. And what would happen is as they're talking, David would start writing down the building plans of the temple. We just covered last week not only the building plans of the temple, but David gave the whole order of workers and Levites. See, look at verse 21, same chapter. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also the leaders and all the people we completely at your command. Put together with what we talked about last week. David also said, I have all your iron you need. I have over $150 billion worth of gold for you. I got over $2 billion worth of silver for you. So Solomon... You get to build it. Here are the plans. Here's the money. Here's the material. Verse 21, here's all the workers. I've done everything for you. Remember our point that we've said the last few weeks. Maybe you've reached a point or you're in a season of life where you can't go do it. Then help those that can. David could have had a little pity party for himself. Why can't I build the temple? Instead, David says, you know what? I'm not allowed to build the temple. Fine, that's not my calling. I'm going to do everything I can to help those that are building the temple. No pouting, no nothing. Do you ever realize as believers how much we pout? Lord, I really want to go do this. No, not you. Well, then fine, Lord. I'm not going to do anything. Oh, come on. If you can't do it, if that's not your season of life, help those that can. Because the focus is on the Lord. Look how this all came together. Who got the vision for this? Who got the vision? David got the vision. Who got to fulfill the vision? Solomon. Who got to help fulfill the vision? Verse 21. All the people. That's how the body of Christ works. One of you may get a great vision on outreach. Somebody may fulfill that vision. And you have lots of people help you along the way. Very rarely do you ever see in the body of Christ someone get the vision, do all the work of the vision, and then fulfill the vision by themselves. That's not how it works. Never how it works. Go back to Nehemiah sometime and look at Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. He got the vision, shared the vision with the people. They all got behind him, and they did it together. David got the vision. Solomon fulfilled the vision. Help with the vision. Some of you here tonight are not visionaries in any way whatsoever. If I'd come up to you and say, hey, by next week, I want you to have an idea from the Lord of something that's going to impact this community for Jesus Christ. Some of you would be like, I don't even know what to do. But you're sure willing to help this person that gets the vision, right? See, some of you have an idea, but you don't know how to fulfill it. Then just share the idea. Some of you don't have the idea, but you could probably fulfill it if someone would give you the idea. Let the body of Christ come together. So often people are saying, well, I had this idea, but I didn't know what to do with it. Share the vision with the church and see what happens and go from there. We've had people come up and say, well, you know what? I really don't know what to do, but I'm just willing to help. Tell me where to serve. Amen. Thank you for that. Thank you. And sometimes it takes time. 
It was a, uh, almost a year ago. I got an email from some. Actually, somebody emailed Nancy. Then Nancy emailed me and saying, hey, they really feel it would be a great idea as a church if we would do one of these Weekend to Remember events. That's great. We started looking at the dates. It didn't work out. didn't work out. It took about 14 months for us to finally get to the one where we could do. Someone else had the vision. They contacted the church and said, we feel this is a good idea. And now guess who's fulfilling the vision? Jonathan and Heidi are going to lead it up and take care of it. People will be blessed. That's how the system works. Some of you have an idea. Share it. Some of you are saying, I'm just willing to help. Then help. Some of you said, you know what? I can do it. Then do it. Let the body of Christ come together. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 1 of chapter 29, which we've already read. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, not saying you got it all figured out, find somebody who's young and inexperienced and take them under your wing. Heard a great teaching a couple weeks ago that said, in your life, you should always have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Now, what does that look like? You should always have a Paul. You should always have somebody who's discipling you. You should always have a Timothy, somebody younger, that you're helping go deeper in the walk with the Lord. And then you should always have a Barnabas. Barnabas' name means encouragement. Somebody that you can go to and say, encourage me in the Lord. That's a great system. Can you imagine if we would all do that? If we'd all have a Timothy to say, you know what? I'm going to get involved with your life and help you go deeper in the Lord. We're all going to have a Paul to say, hey, help keep me accountable in the Lord. But we're all going to have a Barnabas and we're all going to be a Barnabas to somebody else. Wouldn't that be great if that's how the church worked? And that's what you see happening here in verse 1. He's young. He's inexperienced. Guys, help him. Help him. Now, David makes this even more personal. Verse 2, he's prepared everything. Silver, gold, bronze, iron, everything. But look at verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. David says, you know what, guys? I'm giving my own personal wealth to this project. And then he goes and he does it in verses 4 and 5. Guess what happens? Verse 6. Then the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered, how did they offer? Verse 6. Willingly. I love that. The way we do building projects out here is we get the vision for the building project, and say, we feel this is where the Lord's leading. Then we come to the church and we say, guys, we feel this is where the Lord's leading. This is the vision. This is what we feel like we need to do. And guess what the church has done every time for nearly the last 20 years? You get the vision. You willingly give. And guess what? Thank the Lord we're debt free. God's good. And you know what happens when you're debt free? It's more money that you can use to help spread the gospel through missionaries and ministries, etc. And there's probably going to be a time coming up, and we may even be doing something here in 2016 of some more building projects because we have some needs. You know what we're going to do? We're going to come up in front of the church. We're going to say, guys, we've been praying over this for years, and we're going to come present this vision to you, and we're going to present the vision to you, and guess what we're going to do? We're not going to have a thermometer out in front of the church. We're not going to take up special collections. We're just going to say, you know what, guys, pray about it. Verse 6, if you want to offer willingly to get involved with this, come support it. And that's just the way the system works. And God has always taken care of it. I remember back in Exodus when Moses went to the people and said, Guys, we need some gold here to make this stuff. They gave so much to Moses. Moses had to go and say, Hey, guys, no, no more giving. No more giving. Can you imagine a church one Sunday morning saying, Hey, no, no offering today. We don't even know what to do with the money anymore. So keep it and go buy tacos or something. I don't know, you know? 
They took it, they blessed it, and God took care of it. But David set the example. He shared the vision. And guess what the result is of everybody giving? Verse 9. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Willingly. No one forced them. They just wanted to do it. They saw the vision. They called it. And so they willingly do it. And you know what? When you do something willingly for the Lord, the result is joy. I don't feel like I have to do this. I don't feel pushed into this. I don't feel pressured into this. I just want to serve you, Lord. You've done so much for me. And then it's this willing thing. And guess what happens when after you rejoice, then you have verses 10 through 19, you have this great time of worship. Where you just stop and you worship. Verse 10. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Why could they give so much and it not affect them? Because verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you. Verse 14. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willing at this? For all things come from you. Verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand. And is all your own. If you weren't with us Sunday, we're going through Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about give to everyone who asks of you. And we talk about how can we do that? That's my stuff. And we went through all the passages to make the point. What? It's not yours. Well, I worked for it. No, God blessed you with the job. Well, I saved for this. No, you didn't. The Lord blessed you. He took care of you. When you have that mindset that it's not yours and it's the Lord's, well, then you're not really giving. It's just, it's yours, God. You, need, you want to take it. And this is what David is repeating here in verse 12 and verse 14 and verse 16. Lord, this is really not a sacrifice for us because it's yours. It only becomes a sacrifice when you think you own it. It's mine. It's my house. It's my vehicle. It's my possessions. It's my time. No, it's not. It's not your house. The Lord blessed you with it. Use it to give the glory to God. It's not your vehicle. It's not your time. Your breath is held in the hands of the Lord. When you really look at it from that perspective, Lord, it's just all yours. So when God comes and taps you on the spiritual shoulder and says, Hey, I would like you to come serve over here. I don't have time. What do you mean? It's God's time. God comes to ask you to make a sacrifice. Oh, Lord, I can't. I wouldn't have asked you if you couldn't. God asks you to give up your time, your energy, your resources. Lord, it's all yours to start with. It's amazing how simple that is when you really look at it from that perspective. And when you look at it from that perspective, it's like, okay, Lord, if it's all yours anyway, what do you want me to do with it? Because you've blessed me with it. It's not my responsibility to worry about it. I like how Psalm 24 says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. Let's just repeat that one more time. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. So if you are a person who lives on this earth, everything you have is His. And when you look at that from that perspective, wow, Lord, it makes it so easy, doesn't it? 
What you have here in verses 21 through 25, you have Solomon anointed king. You see a lot of sacrifices that goes with that. And then you kind of see a recap of David's uh, kingdom here, his ruling. Verse 26, thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, the first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Samuel, the seer, and in the book of Nathan, the prophet, and in the book of Gad, the seer, with all his reign and his might and the events that happened to him, to Israel, and to all the kingdoms of the land. Next week we'll start Second Chronicles, and we'll see what happens with Solomon. What I really want to focus on is this. Is jump back, if you will, please, to verse 9. I want us just to pray this. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. I want us to pray that. To have a willing heart, a loyal heart, a serving heart. Thoughts that are focused on him, seeking his commands. And that's what I want to end here with prayer. Before we do that, does anybody have any final questions, comments? Ryan. It's a fascinating thing. Fascinating thing. Um, one of the things that we're praying about doing out here, uh, you know, we've spent the first 40 days of this year kind of praying a vision for individuals and also as a church. And some of the stuff that the Lord laid on our heart to do as a church is I think we're going to try this in April, I believe. Um, you know, Resurrection Day is at the end of March, but Passover itself is not until April, I think, 23rd. One of the things I think we may do on some Saturday mornings is do some Saturday morning classes about Jesus and the Passover. Because when you really look at this stuff, like Ryan is saying there, when you read the sacrifices in Leviticus, if you just read it, it makes no sense. Why are we doing this? But when you put Jesus in it, all every sacrifice looks like Jesus. When you look at the Passover, and you're like, well, what's the big deal about the Passover? But when you put Jesus in the Passover, all of a sudden it makes sense because Peter tells us that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Same thing with the temple. When you look at the temple, okay, this is some weird requirements. Yeah, but when you put Jesus in the temple... All of a sudden, what you read there, Ryan mentioned in 1 Kings, I see Christ in all of these things. It's a wonderful study. And if that's something that interests you, I encourage you to go to Kings, like he said. Read through that, and as you're reading through it, say, okay, Lord, what are you in this? Remember what Jesus said, the whole book is written about me. Oh, I love those studies of the sacrifices and the temple and the Passover, how it's all a picture of Jesus. It's absolutely fascinating. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? Yeah, Jody. And he died. We know a little bit more detail, not here in Chronicles, but we know it from looking at uh, Kings. If you go look in, let me get there real quick. If you go to the end of Second Samuel and you go to the end of the first book of Kings, there is a couple, about two, three chapter transition of some other stuff that goes on. So we know that from studying out the first part of First Kings and the end of Second Samuel, of how long it actually was. Chronicles is a much more just to the point type thing. Because what you happen have here happening actually, and Chronicles doesn't mention this, in the beginning of First Kings, one of David's sons um, kind of rebels and tries to take over the kingdom for a brief moment. 
which is a picture of David's consequences of his sins. So you're asking how long it took from the time that David died to Solomon took over to start the temple? Let me see if I can find that real quick in Kings. All right. Yes. Yeah. If you, yep. If you look in First Kings, in First Kings chapter one, he hands the kingdom over, and then he dies in Second First Kings chapter two. So there is a transitional period there where he puts Solomon in, and then David finally dies in First Kings chapter two after he proclaims Solomon as king in First Kings one. So there is a transition there. Anybody else got any other quick questions, comments about anything before we close up? You know what? I want to finish praying that verse. Let's pray that verse 9 here as we close. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, once again, safety for everybody as we travel home. You know, due to weather and sickness, those that couldn't make it tonight, Lord, just, just be with them and bless them. But we want to take this verse and we want to make this verse personal. Lord, we are your sons. We are your daughters. We want to know you as our Father. We want to serve you, Lord. In whatever capacity you've called us, raise us up in that area. Give us the vision of where you want us to serve. We want to have a loyal heart to you, wholeheartedly serving you. We want a willing mind to be willing to do whatever you've called us to do. Lord, search us, search our heart, search our mind, search our thoughts. If there's something in there that needs to be taken care of, something we've hidden in the back door of the closet... Bring that out to attention. Help us to take care of that. Help us to seek you because we know you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you. We want to be your people called by your name, serving you and loving you in all ways and all things. In your name, amen. Amen. Hey, safety as you travel home. Um, If anybody's got anything they want to pray about, feel free to pop on up here. I know a lot of you probably want to get going there with the weather and stuff like that. But safety as you travel home. You guys have a good week and God bless.